Hear the word of the Lord. Now the point of what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted in better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. The word of the Lord. Well, you know, in America, we are fascinated with bigger and better. Have you noticed that? Bigger and better is all the rage in America. Came across this interesting statistic. The average house in 1950 was 983 square feet. Now, it's 2,349 square feet. Bigger and better. How about the TV? Okay? Now, when I was a kid, our TV was like this wooden credenza TV. It was massive. You know, and you had the dial with the channels, and you had pictures on top of the big wooden cabinet. I mean, you could serve dinner on top of the wooden cabinet. It was this giant behemoth. But now, and the screen was about yay big, but now with these plasma screen TVs and LED TVs, they keep getting bigger and bigger. I don't know if you saw that Sharp unveiled an 80-inch uh, Aquas TV. So I'm about 75 inches here, an 80-inch TV. Why would we want to do that? And it's about yay big, because we like bigger and better. When I used to be on staff with Young Life, we used to play this game called Bigger and Better when we would do a Young Life Club, and it basically worked something like this. Get a bunch of kids at somebody's house, and I would break them up, break them up into groups, and I would give each one of them a penny. And I would say, all right, you've got 40 minutes, you've got to go out into the neighborhood, and you've got to take this penny, and go to people, and ask them, what will you give me in exchange for this penny that's bigger and better? And then at the end of 40 minutes, whoever came back with the biggest and best thing was the winner. <laughs> And it's astounding, you know? They'd walk up to somebody's house, what will you give me for this penny? And this guy would think, what, can I, what junk can I unload on these kids? So they'd give them like a 
beat up lawnmower or something or some lawn furniture. And then they would go to another house and try to trade it up and keep trading it up. It's amazing the stuff that came back from a penny in 40 minutes. I remember getting a full commode, a nice toilet coming in there. I remember a, a patio set, golf clubs. But the best thing, the best thing I ever heard someone bringing back from bigger and better from a penny was this guy drove up in a hearse. A penny to a hearse in 40 minutes. Now that's bigger and better. Now I don't know if you want a hearse, but it certainly is bigger. I don't know if it's better. We love bigger and better. I mean, we even get storage uh, locations off of our house to store our bigger and better things. Now, we not only want bigger and better in things, do we? We also want bigger and better in our relationships. I mean, who doesn't want a better relationship with their spouse? Better and richer relationships with their friends. Better working harmony with their colleagues when they go to work. We want not only bigger, we want better relationships. And I think that what we're looking for also is a better relationship with God. I mean, think about it. Why did you guys show up here in the first place? could be out playing golf somewhere or doing something. Because you're hoping to know God better. You're hoping there's something more out there. You want to grow in your relationship with God. And the great thing about this passage is it tells us that there's something better. A better covenant from, through a better mediator that provides better promises. Now remember, this guy who's writing this passage here is writing it to this church of these Jewish Christians. And they're being tempted to give up. They're frustrated. They're upset. They're being persecuted. And they're being tempted to give up on this better covenant. This better mediator. These better promises that they've heard about because of all the things that they're seeing before them. And so the author writes this passage to help them understand. You can't go back to the old. You have to move forward with the new. Because the better covenant is what you're looking for. And it's what you and I are looking for as well. A better covenant through a better mediator that provides better promises. So what we're going to do in the next two hours is look at those three things. I always say that for the visitors. It's not two hours. It's about an hour. I'm just kidding. It's not even an hour. Better covenant. What does a better covenant look like? Then we're going to look at this better mediator. Why do we need a better mediator? And finally, what are these better promises that we can take advantage of? So let's look at the first thing. God promises to us a better covenant. Look at verse 6. It says, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. So we see here that this better covenant, the second covenant, has been put in place because God finds fault with the first one. Now, first point we've got to ask is, what is a covenant? A covenant, in short, is a formalized agreement that specifies how a relationship is going to be between two parties. Now, all relationships have a covenant, whether it's informal or formal. I remember I was dating Liel, and uh, actually we weren't dating, we were just friends. We were assigned to the same Young Life team, but it was clear there was chemistry. I mean, she was attracted to me, I could sense that. Uh, well, maybe the other way around. But nonetheless, we could tell something was going on. And so at one time, she sat down with me and we had the DTR relationship. Anyone remember DTR? Define the relationship. 
Where are we going with this thing, Carlos? See, we needed to get more specific. What's the relationship, the nature going to be between us? And obviously, the more important the relationship, the more formalized it gets. So at a certain point, when we said we're going to spend our life together, what did we do? We went before all of our friends in the church and we enacted a covenant, a marriage covenant, a formalized agreement between two parties. Well, if we play the tape back, God defined the relationship with the Israelite people. If you'll remember, there was this people in slavery in Egypt. And this God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, came and with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, through his emissary Moses, grabbed these 600,000 people and pulled them out of Egypt. And he took them to Mount Sinai and he made a covenant with them. Never before in the history of the world had a God ever done anything like this and drew up a formalized agreement about what he was going to do for these people. You remember in Deuteronomy 5, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not bow down to them and worship them. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of any sort of thing. He laid out these stipulations about how this relationship was going to occur. And he said at the end of this covenant that there would be blessings if you obeyed the, the laws, the things that I gave you. But there would also be curses if you did not obey the stipulations of the covenant. See, in one sense, there was great promises here. Here was God who had enacted on the you know, acted on the part of these people. But there was great danger as well. To enter into an agreement, to not obey, was to lose the blessing of God. Well, what happened? We all know the story. Verse 9. The new covenant will not be like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue uh, in following the Lord. See, there were consequences. They didn't obey the rules. They didn't obey what God said, the laws that He had given them for their benefit. And so what did God do? He showed no concern for them. He handed them over to their enemies. He scattered them across the world. But we see that a new covenant, a better covenant, has been enacted. Not a conditional covenant. Not a covenant that's based on the performance of the people. But rather on the character and the promises of God. God says, I will establish a new covenant. I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be merciful. I will remember their sins no more. Notice all of those words. It's God who's the prime mover in this new covenant. I will. I will establish. I will put. I will write. I will be merciful. I will be. It's all what God is doing in this better new covenant. And we see in verse 13 that in effect, putting this new covenant in place, he's made the old one obsolete. And what is becoming old and obsolete is ready to pass away. In fact, this Greek here in the language of making it obsolete is in what we call the perfect tense. It means something that's already occurred and will continue to occur for the rest of eternity. God has enacted a better covenant. See, the old covenant was based on fear. The new covenant is based on love. Remember when we uh, decided to adopt Maria? And uh, there's a lot of studies about how you adopt and the challenges. And there's a lot of uh, things dealing with what we call attachment theory. And we understand attachment a little bit because many of us 
went through it. You know, when you have a natural child, there's almost an instantaneous attachment that occurs between the mother and the child, and the father as well. The child is born out of the mother, who the child has been in her womb for nine months, and laid on her chest, and that instant bonding, that instant attachment occurs. What we call a secure attachment. And you grow up, and the parents take care of the child, and the child knows that this is mom and dad. And regardless of what I do, if it's a healthy, secure attachment, they're always going to be my mom and dad. Now, they might get angry at me. They might be, but they would never leave me. They would never forsake me. But you see, with, a, with, a, with an orphan child, it's a lot more difficult because this child maybe never had parents or maybe had parents who abused them or uh, died. or So we have all of these issues of a child who's very, very, very wary. And it becomes harder and harder to have a good attachment the older they get. So the question we had with Maria is, will Maria attach to us? Can she attach at all? In fact, some orphans will never attach to a parent. Some orphans can securely attach, but most orphans insecurely attach. Meaning, this is my mom and dad. But in their heart of hearts, if I screw up, if I mess up, if I blow it, if I don't act in the way that I should, maybe mom and dad are going to leave me just like my original parents did. Well, praise God, Maria can't attach to us, and slowly as we love her and care for her, and it's a miracle of God, her, her attachment is becoming more and more secure and solidifying every day. See, why do I tell that story? The reason I tell that story is because if you are a Christian, you live under a new covenant. A better covenant. A covenant that is not conditional, but a covenant that is unconditional. Based upon the promises and love of God in which He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. So I want to ask you the question, what is your attachment to God based on? Is it based on His promises, or is it rather based on your performance? See, most of us, if we're honest, are living under this old covenant. This insecure attachment. That if we x-ray our spiritual life, it looks something like this. Well, I better show up to church. Better volunteer in the nursery. Better not gossip like those other people. Because in reality, if I get out of line, maybe God will kick me to the curb. And so our relationship with God is based on fear rather than on love. But I want to tell you guys that what God has given us is a better covenant based on better promises, on the unconditional love of God. So we don't have to live like that anymore. We can trust in the promises of God. We must remember the words that he said, that the old is gone and the new has come, to trust in this better covenant of love. Because God has given us a better covenant through a better mediator that gives us better promises. Well, let's move on to point two. If he's given us a better covenant, He's given a better covenant through a better mediator. See, many of us, when we hear that, we get that, we read the Bible, the pastor says it every week, but in our heart of hearts, there's doubt. How can it be possible that God would love someone like me like that? I remember my parents always saying to me, you know, if something's too good to be true, it probably is. And this thing sounds a little bit too good to be true. So how can it be possible that God would love me unconditionally? The answer, a better mediator. 
See, what I love about this passage is we see the author in the scripture almost peeling back the sky and showing us the reality of what is going on in heaven. That we discover that there is a heavenly temple, a reality that we didn't know about upon which all of the Old Testament was based. Now, if you remember the Old Covenant, God gave provisions that, you know, if you go through the Mosaic Law, that this temple would be created in which He would dwell in the Holy of Holies, this back room of the temple, and that God would dwell with His people. In the ancient world, the temple was considered an intersection between heaven and earth. That's where you would go to meet God. But He also uh, uh, implemented into place this system of atonement. These Levitical priests who would come and they would offer sacrifices. See, no one could just walk in. You couldn't just walk in to meet with God. It was only one person, one day a year, the high priest who could come in to bring sacrifices to atone for the sins of the people. But in this passage, we see something extremely powerful. That all of that Old Testament, all of that thousand years of this temple and sacrifices day by day, year after year, is merely a shadow. The entire system is a copy and a shadow and a poor one of that of the heavenly things. Notice what it says in verse 5. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. See, the temple and the Levitical priestly system was drawn up from blueprints of a heavenly temple and a heavenly sacrificial system. And we see here that the real one, the one that only counts, the one that's in effect now, is this temple that is in heaven. See, the temple has been raised to the ground. If you go to Jerusalem, you can't find it anywhere. Or Levitical priests, because there's no need for it now, because there is a new temple and a better mediator. Who is this mediator? His name is Jesus Christ. Look at verse 2 and 3. See, what we're saying here is that we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices, thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. See, in the history of the world, there was never one who entered into the true temple of God except for the perfect man, Jesus Christ. All the others were entering into a shadow. And so Jesus, the better mediator, has entered into the better temple. And what has he done there? He is seated at the right hand of the majesty. See, in the old temple, if you went into the Holy of Holies, there was no chair. No chair. There was the Ark of the Covenant. There was the bread of the presence, but there was no chair. There was no place to sit down. Because when you're in the presence of a king, you don't sit. See, the only one who could sit in the presence of a king was another king. And yet we see one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty. And in fact, is seated is in the present tense. He's sitting there. Because the authority and jurisdiction of Jesus Christ has been recognized. Because he is the better mediator. And finally, number three, he has not left. The old covenant, the priest would come in, he'd give a sacrifice, and he'd quickly walk out of there before he got nuked by God for doing something wrong. 
And then Jesus is sitting there and he's waiting. He continues to mediate. He has brought a gift and his gift has been accepted. See, all the other high priests, they brought gifts and sacrifices, but they couldn't last. But Jesus has brought a sufficient offering. And what is that offering? He has brought himself. See, Jesus has brought sufficient payment to guarantee this covenant between God and man. Remember, as a kid, I had a little set that uh, I would play with. Rock'em Sock'em Boxing. Anybody remember Rock'em Sock'em Boxing? There's the little red robot guy and the little blue robot guy and the little yellow thing. And you would start pushing and these guys would start swinging, swinging. And the whole point was at some point you'd hit the guy in the jaw and his jaw would pop up and the match would be over. Now, that was my full understanding of boxing as a kid. I'd never seen a boxing match. I'd never seen one on TV. I didn't know there was boxing. All I knew was rock'em, sock'em, boxing. So you can imagine my surprise when one day I finally, Dad was watching a boxing match and I saw it and my eyes were open to the true reality. These guys could move around. There was like a ding ding and they would stop and a guy could actually get laid out, not just his chin pop up. See, it was just a shadow. It was just a mere visage of the true reality. That's exactly what we're seeing in the old temple. It's just a shadow of the new temple, the new reality. See, the earthly temple was the Rock'em Sock'em boxing set. Imperfect sacrifices brought by imperfect priests. But in the new covenant, we see the true high priest. The one who has the authority to enter into the temple and to sat down whose sacrifice is taken. So my question for you is, who are you trusting to be your priest? Your mediator before God? Are you trusting some two-bit crackerjack priest to represent you before God or the true high priest? See, maybe you're trusting in some sort of religious system. Maybe it's this one. Maybe it's the church. You know, you're coming, you're doing your thing, and you're kind of counting on me. You know, I'm, I'm the minister up here, and I'm sort of keeping score, and I'm going to turn in a sheet or something at the end of the week. Guys, there's a reason I'm not called a priest. I'm a minister, which means a servant, because I can't represent you. I don't have that kind of clout with God. There's only one who has a clout. Maybe you're trusting in yourself to be your own priest. You know, you're making your own sacrifices of time and money and you're doing your thing and you're working hard and you're keeping your nose clean and you're not doing what everyone else is doing and you're hoping at the end of the day you're going to turn in your sheet and it's going to be accepted. Friend, you're not a priest either. You're just a person. Because there's only one true priest. A better mediator for a better covenant. So trust in Him. Because the question you have to ask yourself is, how am I going to get into that throne room. How am I going to get up there? The only way you're going to get up into that throne room is because Jesus Christ left it for us. The only way that you're going to be recognized by God is because God recognized Jesus Christ. The only way you're going to be found righteous is enough is because He was found righteous enough. We have a better covenant because we have a better mediator who gives us a better promise. I finish with my final thought, my final point, that we obtain better promises. Notice verse 6, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, 
as the covenant he, medi uh, he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. Certainly we see the better promise that we can be found not guilty in the courtroom of God. That we can be found acceptable in His sight. But how? How is that possible? See, the problem remains. God is holy and we're not. How can we walk into that room when we don't belong? Have you ever walked into a room that you didn't belong? I remember I was at a convention, you know, and I was trying to find my way to this place. And I walk into this Chinese wedding reception. And a small one at that. So I kind of poke in because I think I'm in the right room. And all of them look at me and I look at them. And I'm clearly not Chinese. And I felt very self-conscious and I backed my way out of there because I didn't belong there. What's the point of going up into heaven? Being a part of God if we won't feel like we belong there. We'll hide in a corner somewhere. How do we receive this secure attachment? See, the, the better promise is this, that the mediator not only promises to change our standing with God, he chooses to do that by changing us into people who actually belong there. God, through Christ, not only changes our status, he'll actually change our nature. Look at verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds. And I will write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least to the greatest. See, if you play back the tape and you look at the reason we were created, we were made in the image of God. We were made to think like God. To be righteous like God. To act like gods. To be micro-gods. Creations, not creators. But like God in the images. Like a son or a daughter. But sin marred the image. It twisted it. So that we are poor, poor representations of the one we were made to resemble. That's what fractured the relationship between us. The simple fact that he is godly and we are not. See, when you look at the first covenant, there was nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments. Nothing wrong with the law. The problem's not with the law. The problem was with us. We somehow needed to be changed. The Ten Commandments were supposed to be like breathing for us. Just part of our DNA. So the question is, who can fix us? Who can restore us? Who can resurrect us into the image we were meant to be? The better mediator, Jesus Christ, who gives us the better promise. See, it's one thing for a mediator to function as a go-between between two parties to try to effect some sort of compromise. It's a whole other thing for a mediator to be able to transform one party so much into the likeness of the other that there's harmony automatically. That is the hope that we have. That God not only frees us in our standing with God, but He changes and transforms our nature. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if He is Lord and Savior, He has already resurrected your spirit. You will not be any more resurrected than you are in your spirit when He comes. But our bodies are still fallen. Our minds, our wills, our emotions. That's why we still sin. 
But in one day, when He comes, He will give us a new body to come along with that new spirit. And we shall walk into the throne room of God with heads held high. For we shall see Him like He is, for we will be like Him, sons and daughters of the living God. After, uh, in a little bit, my wife and I are taking our daughter to Disney on Ice. Okay? It's like one of these things with the princesses. Okay? I haven't gone to one of those before. This is kind of new territory for me with my guys. But we're going to go see the princesses. Okay? And they've got all the princesses. The Beauty and the Beast princess. they got all the dresses. they got all the things. And we're going to go see these princesses sort of, you know, going around. And Maria is going to dress up to go, right? In fact, I've got a little thing here. We've got a little tiara here. It's kind of exciting. This isn't her actual, I think, because it's going to be a little chilly. But, you know, we've got a little princess dress for her. And she's going to go with her friend. And they're going to experience the princess. And she's going to look like a little princess. But she's not a princess yet, is she? See, we aren't quite finished yet. But God, in this better covenant, through a better mediator, is giving us a better promise. Not only that we will have new standing before God, in the throne room of God, but He is in the process of transforming us into our likeness. So through Christ, we will be like Christ. We will not only be there because of Christ, we will deserve to be there because He's transformed our nature. That is the hope you have of this better covenant. There's only one mediator that can transform you and me from the inside out. The promise is for you. So don't settle for religion. Don't settle for two-bit priests and mediators. Settle for Christ who gives us a better covenant because He's a better mediator. And He provides us with a better promise. Live in hope. And live in expectation. This is the promise for you. If you trust in Jesus Christ. Let us pray.